Hello and welcome to episode 19 of The Turner Years. I'm your host Paul and I'm here with a man who in his youth was called by some a wild child but now he's just wild thing, Dave Evans. Hey Dave, how you doing? I'm good Paul, how are you? I'm, I'm pretty good, I can't believe you managed to get, get your E-Fed character into an intro, so well done. You're really that surprised. Well no, I'm not surprised, <laughs> I'm just impressed. Well, it's got to be what, 19? 19, 20 when we're doing that? Well, doing it at college, so... Seven, nine, 17. 18, 19? 17, 18, yeah. Huh. Fair enough, fair enough. So many years ago. I don't. I, don't, I was going to say, I don't feel quite so bad now. I was like, ah, E-Feds. I believe I explained that one, the entire concept on Ministry of Slam once. They hadn't uh, heard of it? Yeah, well, half and half. Half and half. Uh, but yeah, that was years ago. I came very close to, to starting one up. I just had that conversation. I was like, who joined? Nobody would join. Nobody. It's 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 done. Just just do some creative writing. It's fine. So anyway, we are here to discuss the second event of 1990. Do you have any more 1990 facts, or do we use them all up last episode? We used them all up last episode. Uh, good, good. I I love 1990, but like, I'm depressed now that there are 90s bars. When I was a kid, it was 70s bars and 80s bars, and now there are 90s bars, and that's when I grew up. So that's now that can't. That's never allowed to be old. It's retro, apparently. It's wrong. Well, especially in this country, you just end up with Britpop everywhere. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Mumble, mumble. Led Zeppelin, mumble, mumble. So, our next show, or this show, sorry, uh, this show, we are talking about Wrestle War 90. Wild, Wild thing. thing. Yeah, it was the 25th of February 1990 at the Greensboro Coliseum. With 9,894 in attendance and a buy rate of 1.6. They're in Greensboro. They're in Horseman Country, baby. Yep. So they got a, they got a big, well, a bigger house. Yeah. And obviously, massive, massive changes since the last episode, which was earlier in the month. As we said at the end of that episode, Sting's injury has really messed things around, and now we've got the main event. Stop me if you've heard this one before. It's the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Stop. <laughs> Versus Lex Luger. Now, unless I'm very much mistaken, from our second show onwards, there was the Flair Luger feud, wasn't there, for a while? Yeah. So we have. So this may well be an uphill battle for us. Especially because last time we watched a program, which was Clash 10, Flair was heel. Uh, Luger was heel. So. We'll see what happened there. What are we open with, Dave? Uh, introduction to the commentary team as normal. Yep. This week, this month, the show this, this is um, Jim Ross and Terry Funk, who Jim Ross says you certainly look spiffy tonight too. Yes, I'm pretty sure he once again gets referred to as Tuxedo Terry at one point. Terry Funk refers to him as Jimbo Diddley. Jimbo Diddley. Yeah. So they start off actually doing a rundown of part of the card at least. They say the main event is going to be... Ric Flair versus Lex Luger for the world title. The Andersons will be facing the Steiner brothers. Should be good. And I think they also give us the Freebirds versus Tom Zenk, the Z-Man, and Brian Pillman. And that's all the card, they actually. Yeah, they don't really They don't give us the whole thing, which is a bit of a shame. But and it's very weird. It's, they, they usually cut through everything, and this is just... So they go to the back then. To an interview with Teddy Long by Gordon Soley, and they're talking about Dan Spivey being injured. Dan Spivey's in all Japan. He's left for all Japan. Yeah, but he's injured. This, this when I found out he 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 wasn't just on a tour, I was pretty shocked because they go out of their way to say he's injured, he's hurt. They don't say he's garbage, he's left, he wasn't good enough or any of that. So it's possible they think they're going to get him back. Because they they repeat the they repeat this kind of point to the point where I felt for sure he was going to come and do a running because I didn't know he was I I found out afterwards so I go and I watch the show then I find out what I can find out about it so I don't want to go in there with any preconceived ideas. Well, Jim Ross even points out it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him tonight and things like That's that. That's what I mean. Like... They they played it on so thick I was pretty sure, and yeah. then to find out he's left the company, like whose photos did he have to not get buried on the way out? So, Dan Spivey's out. There is a replacement for the team for tonight. And we'll get to that in a bit. Yep. And Teddy Long says, I've also got a surprise for you guys later. 
So this is the third incarnation of the skyscrapers we'll be seeing. It is, yeah. Like, fair enough, but the skyscrapers wasn't that good an idea <laughs> to be like, no, let's keep the name. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, they laid it on so thick, I felt for certain we were going to see Spivey. Spoilers, we don't. And I also love the fact, because it's, street, it's a street fight, he's now Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Long. Sugar Ray Long, because Sugar Ray Leonard's the actual boxer. Damn it. Oh, I knew I was going to do that as well. Should we move on from yes, Mike we'll... Fyodor on to yeah. Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer, who are already in the ring yeah. against the dynamic dudes. Now, the dudes don't have their skateboards. Nope. They don't steal any children from the crowd. Nope. And they don't do their little striptease bit. Nope. And their tights are just black hmm. with a neon dynamics or, d- or dudes on the back. Dudes on the back, I think. Yeah. They look much better. They look like wrestlers. Their presentation is much better. This is easily the best we've seen of them coming out. They don't seem so ridiculous. This, I could be down with. Unfortunately. This is the final time we'll see them. Yeah. We'll get Johnny one more time in a future show from the cards I've looked at. But this is the last time we see the dynamic dudes. As yeah, they're little, they're little neon like dudes in the back. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Fat Willie's Surf Shack in like Cornwall or something no it used to be big in like the, the 80s and they'd sell a lot of merchandise and it'd be like neon flipping the logo and that's all I could think of which which made me laugh so yeah that'd be that's a very local I think it's Cornwall anyway my cousin my cousin had like a mug and like t-shirts and all kinds of stuff so I, I assumed it was big maybe, maybe he just liked it maybe he was down with the puns so we've got another team that have kind of just been put together we had this last time with the team who we're featuring later, uh, Pillman and Z-Man. And, and now we've got Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer. This match is fine for what it is, but it's nothing. And the thing is, I've buried the dudes at every opportunity on this program. They are by far the better team in this match. By far. And they're not good. I don't understand why this opens a pay-per-view when you're not going to use the dudes again. Maybe they still can use the dude. Maybe they, maybe this is their, their last-minute paint job to try and be like, no, they're still cool, look. It's still good, it's still good. Well, this is pay-per-views of like the 90, early 90s and late 80s, where not every match was built to quite as much as... No. At WCW in general, there's, there's plenty of stuff in the in the late 90s that is just like, um, so-and-so's turned up. So, Buzz, you said last time, he doesn't wrestle as you'd expect him to. He looks like he should be a brawler. Yeah. But he's not, he's a mat wrestler. Yeah. And they even talk about him being a mat wrestler. Funk calls him an idiot. Funk in general on this on this program is completely nuts. Completely insane. Often has good insight. Is often also terrible. It's very much swings from like, oh, that's really good, to, oh my God, why are you saying that? Sullivan has no presence. Just no presence. No. Since he, I mean, I was desperate to get him to get the the varsity club over and done with, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. And I know I'm, I know I'm going to be waiting until 1995. I want Dungeon of Doom, Sullivan. I thought you were saying you want the varsity club back. No, no, <laughs> no. I I want the ridiculously stupid Dungeon of Doom, Taskmaster Sullivan, or something because. He's got nothing to go on right now. Buzz Sawyer is just weird. Like, he just comes across like a weird dude. Well, we've said before, we don't get a lot of the TV. No. Or any of the TV. But he was part of the stable that was feuding with the Horsemen until the beginning of this month. JTEX Corporation. Yeah. So that's... He's going to be heavily featured on TV. So it's going to be a bigger deal to people who are watching weekly than he is to us. Of course. Wonder why he's teaming with Kevin Sullivan now, though. That makes no sense, then. Uh, they say Kevin Sullivan's taking Buzz Sawyer under his wing as he's, he's mentoring him. They're a similar age, I was going to say, they? they look a similar age. They're both kind of... They're not physique guys, let's be kind. They're both thinning hair or bald. Nothing wrong with being bald, Dave, before you say anything. The bald community rolls on, sir. <laughs> We're everywhere. Even sometimes places you don't expect. <laughs> um, no, it's it's not that. It's But they don't look like young dudes. Being like a mentorship thing is weird. And then you've got the dynamic dudes who look like a mentor and... Um, yeah. Protégé. 
Johnny actually does a dive off the, gonna, over the top this time. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's why I'm like, these are the better team because they they finally feel like they're more comfortable. Yeah. They've got rid of all the stupid stuff, and granted, they're still called the dynamic dudes. But now they just feel like wrestlers, and I'm cool with them just being wrestlers. Now, Johnny's dive over the top. The camera work of this show, in general, is awful. Yeah, you miss it. You miss it. There's a few spots later on, and I think I know where they happen a lot of the time. But it's just how the dive should have been focused on Johnny in the ring coming over the top rope, not Buzz Sawyer and Kevin Sullivan outside the ring waiting. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, that can be cool if you don't see a dive and then somebody just drops into frame and breaks up a pin or something. That's that's quite fun. But this didn't have that because it kind of caught neither of it. It didn't catch the dive because the camera was in a weird position and didn't really catch the reaction of the, of the guys taking the dive because it was like behind them. Yeah, it was bad camera work and there's a lot of bad camera work through this show. And last show, the camera work was superb. Yes. <laughs> Say what you will about that class, but it was, you, there, were, there were times where I was like, cameraman's in the ring, it's cool. This was a nothing match that just seemed like it was going to be there to fill up the card. I didn't get the impression they were going to keep either team together, and the dudes came off the best they've been. And then, surprisingly, lose. Yeah, it's uh, like you said though, both sides has been working main events and in the main event angle, so he's going to win. The dudes, the bloom is off the rose with the dudes, or... A more tubular version of that, if you can think of it. What did you think about the Kevin Sullivan Buzz Sawyer slap fight in the middle of the match? Stupid. Like, all right, we're two grown men. You've made a mistake, so I'm gonna slap you. You're gonna slap me back, and then we're just gonna go back to being normal and yeah. wrestling. It's just like, okay, fine. If you'd have evolved into no, these two hate each other, and you'd have like got into a fight, and that would have started you two feuding. Fine. Or if if your gimmick was like we're both savages. Still stupid, but okay, it's been, it's expected. But it's, this just felt like it was thrown on. So the end of the match is a weird one. So you get the hot tag to Johnny. Johnny comes in, starts cleaning in case. Kevin Sullivan gets drop kicked by Shane, who misses, and Kevin Sullivan kind of stumbles and just stands on the apron instead of falling out of the ring because I think he realised he didn't actually hit me. There. Smart though, because you only make he can look stupid or we can both look stupid. And then there was a sloppy head scissor takeover by yeah, that Johnny. Looked, that looked dangerous. Which I was there like, is it meant to be sloppy? Is because they play off it being the reason he messes he messes it up and he loses the match because of that. Maybe. And then it was a suplex and a big splash off the top for the free count. A clean win for the heels. They've realized. I think they've realized like the dudes are done. Let's get what we can out of them. Like. Don't get me wrong, we, I'm talking about like their trunks looking better and stuff. And, yeah. And all the goofy stuff. All the goofy stuff being taken from them would have been a demotion for them because it's less, it's less focus being put on them just because we think it's better and they probably think it's better. WCW are no longer focusing on them. They're no longer getting all the camera time for the entrance. Like, it is a demotion. It's just better. So, yeah, um... The dudes lose, and this is the last time we'll see the dudes together. I know. Such a shame. Hang on, no, no, I love it. Yeah. If only that would happen to certain other teams. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll see much more Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer in the future. Yeah. Maybe I, a world title shot or something. I was going to say, I remember, their, I remember their massive 15-month run with the World Tag Team Championships. So we go on from there to an interview with a character I really wish would go now, like, it's Norman the Lunatic Aww. with Missy Hyatt. Aww. And I hated this segment. <laughs> Missy Hyatt, we'll talk about the little positive first, is dressed in a tuxedo and reminds me of Mike McGurk at this point. Oh, Mike McGurk, man. Now, that is that is some memories, man. Female ring announcer for the WWF yeah. in the early 90s. In what I, what I, will, what I will call the, the Sean Mooney era. <laughs> and that's what Missy looked like in this segment. And then she's sexually harassed by Norman the Lunatic. She was sexually harassed by everyone. But it seems like any time there's an interview, someone is going to make some some horrific comment. Well, it's, can I get a hug for good luck? Can I get a kiss for good luck? You know, second kiss will probably guarantee me a win here tonight. Yeah, it's awful. And she's like, I hear the bell ringing, off you go. <laughs> it should have been that his match was like, 
five matches away at that point. It's like, no, the, the bell's ringing. Go, go off you go. But yeah, um, I'm glad I'm glad Missy's getting something to do. Because I do think, like, she's got personality. I, I wasn't really familiar with her work that much until, until I started watching this stuff. Well, she's going to be around for a while yet, I believe. Yeah. I believe she goes back to managing at some point, maybe. Definitely. So that's going to be fun. But as you said, it, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm, I'm, part of me is just thinking, yeah, how much did, how much did Mike, Mike Shaw just be like, see how far I can push this? Although uh, that's just be having, having a laugh. I can't imagine that that kind of stuff would be tolerated. That story would have gotten out. Why yeah. now? It'd have been like, actually. So our next match, and one of the only singles matches on the card. Yes, this is a very, very heavily, heavily skewed towards tag team wrestling. So we have Cactus Jack. Still Cactus Jack Manson at this point versus Norman the Lunatic. And Norman comes down to the ring carrying a big teddy bear. He's got a little teddy bear attached to him. And the children in the front row are giving him more teddy bears. Yes. I really hope these kids are plants. Because otherwise there's a big grown man stealing their toys. <laughs> or, or this thing's getting over. Because I, ha- I, uh, I had a book. It's called the, Icon- the Iconography of Wrestling or something like that. Or The Superstars of Wrestling. And it was full of stuff that I just never heard of or seen before. And this must have been around this time. And it had like a lot of WCW wrestlers. It had the first picture I'd ever seen is Hulk Hogan as a heel. And one of them was of Norman the Lunatic with a big teddy bear. And I was like, that's, that's really weird. And they were like, yeah, kids love <laughs> kids love Norman. And I'm like, that seems weird. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it. So his big teddy bear, he does the thing that baby faces do, where they throw something into the crowd for the kids to catch. Yeah. Did you see the two rednecks who caught that damn teddy bear? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what are you going to do? Give it to a kid in the front row like Brett used to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just randomly throw it into the... Little do you know that there's a bar, there's a weight in there, they just clock someone in the head. Oh, that'd be a great, be a great heel turn. Yes, this... This 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 stuff toy doesn't meet safety standards. Yeah, but Nor- Norman's this gimmick is it's wearing on me pretty hard at this point. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Of... I'll say this: Foley makes him look good. Foley does make him look good. There's not many people Foley didn't make look good back in the day, though. Exactly, but it's quite an even contest, and I remember the ending, obviously. But there's not too much in it. It's I thought that Foley comes across like quite vicious. There's a lot of fighting outside the ring. Yeah, there's a lot of that trademark. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> From Foley. He looks like someone, to me anyway. Maybe that's because I know what he becomes. But out of the two of them, I'm like, well, Cactus has got a character. Because as, as, as soon as Norm gets in the ring, he's just wrestling. He's not doing like a lot of... I don't know what he can do with the gimmick he's been given. But, you know, there's not a lot of character work in his moves and stuff. No, if he, you get me. He does some very basic moves. Now, the camera work got to me in this match again. Okay. There's a spot where Cactus comes off the apron with a two-footed dropkick straight ahead, and all you see are his boots come into shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weird. Because, like you said, the last, last show was real good. Yeah. And this one, not so much. Is there much to talk about within the ending? Cause I don't... No, should we go to... Wait, wait. This is the spot with the camel clutch. Yes, there's a camel clutch in this match. Where Norman ends up with Cactus on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Terry Funk, during this camel clutch, says, well, he looks like Eddie Farhat. That's the original Sheik, who didn't like people knowing his real name. Or referring to him by his real name. I'm pretty sure Sabu. Calls him ye- Uncle Sheik. Didn't know his real name for years. So, you know, Funk, pop- Funk probably knows the Sheik and probably just thought he'd chuck that in as a gag. But it really, really pissed him off. Norman fights from the camel clutch into a reverse chin lock and then goes to get Cactus on his shoulders and kind of messes it up a bit. And luckily Cactus is able to adjust himself so he can get up on his shoulders. Cactus is selling being up at a great height very well with his facials. Yeah. Electric chair drop. And then, of course, Norman goes for a splash and misses. And then... 
Cactus goes for a pile driver, but Norman is far too big for him to get the pile driver yep, on. Again, Terry Funk's like, he's never going to do that. That's ridiculous. Why is he even trying to do that? He gets thrown over, goes for a sunset flip, which is another stupid idea on a big man. And yep. Norman just drops to his knees, which is something he did in the previous show against well, Kevin Sullivan at one point. Well, this is his finisher's Bastion Bugger. Just to drop to the knees. Just and to drop to the knees and smother the person. It's probably very unpleasant under yeah, there. Yes, <laughs> yes. He's a big man. and um, But yeah, that was the finish. Yeah. I see why they matched those two characters off. In theory, that'd be a good brawl. Yeah. But I think the gimmick is holding... Because like, I think if you made Norman, or the guy playing Norman, a heel, I think he'd be a great brawler. But you can't do that when you're handing out toys to the kids and being innocent or like, you know... You can't suddenly then be like, aha! When you've been manipulated by Teddy Long to be a heel, it doesn't really work for you. We have an interview segment. Here we go. We have the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette with Gordon Soley, and basically they're facing off against the Rock and Roll Express, and the Midnights are never tired of beating up and winning against the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. Nice little interview, and it's nice to see the Midnights have a match again. Yes. Stan Lane wearing the same kind of wraparound shades that the Freebirds wear. Stan Lane looks like a cool motherfucker. Instantly, in one go, just looks way cooler than the Freebirds did when they tried the same thing. Because the Freebirds made them look like flipping ski goggles. But Stan Stan Lane's just stood at the back, chewing a bit of gum. He looks great. So, we have the match starts next. And the sound quality... The sound cuts for the introduction of the Midnight Express and only comes back in as Stan is doing his bit for Jim Cornette. So I don't know how Jim introduced the Midnights other than beautiful Bobby and sweet Stan. The Midnight Express. Yeah, where his little line was before. But I did get Stan's down. Stan says of Jim, he says, Jim is the man who stole Ivana away from Donald Trump. Oh, Oh dear, oh dear. This was a great match. I loved it. Oh yeah, this is the first time I've seen the Rock and Roll Express and been like, oh, this is the Rock and Roll Express. This is why Jim Cornette always talks about how great their matches with the Rock and yeah, Roll Express right. were. Because to me so far, we've never seen the Rock and Roll Express. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen them but much later on and they're yeah, like, older I guys. I've got no problem with you watching them in like 97, 98 and being like, what's the big deal? But when yeah. we started watching, I was like, well, alright, this has got to be it. But yeah, this... These guys know each other backwards. There is some lovely uh, interactions between Jim and Nick Patrick. And Nick Patrick, where Jim threatens to fight Nick Patrick, expecting him to back down, and Nick Patrick is like, "Yeah, I'll knock you out. What are you gonna do?" <laughs> Pulls his shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Very... Rock and roll. It's comedy, but it's well done. Yeah, exactly. Neither the rock and roll or the Midnight's are particularly involved in the comedy spots. No. It's Jim and the referee are yeah. there for the comedy relief. And then there is another, there is another spot where um, Jim is involved in a tug of war. And the way he's involved in a tug of war is he's the rope. Stan Lane is trying to pull him into the ring. And I believe it's Ricky Morton is trying to pull him out of the ring, which is pretty funny. But all that comedy being said, there is still a good tag match in there that is taken completely seriously. So I'm going to go to the first big spot of the match, which I loved. So we have Ricky in a test of strength with Bobby, and he climbs up Bobby. Yeah. Gets him on one knee, and then climbs up that knee, up his chest, onto his shoulders, dives off and hits Stan, who's coming into the ring. Just as soon as he hits Stan, Robert comes off the turnbuckle and hits Bobby. And it's just, "Ah, that's genius. Yeah, you've never seen that. That's the best spot of the night. I've never seen that. I've been watching for most of my life, and that's very innovative. I've seen it with little guys and their big partners do it, but never climbing up your own opponent. Yeah, exactly. And it was so good. They Obviously, they get the heat on Ricky Morton. Yeah. Because that's that's how it's done. But the commentary... What I loved about this is the commentary team and and... They talk about these guys have faced each other everywhere. They know each other. Yeah. Every time Stan misses a kick, that's because they know each other so well. Or yeah. reverses a move up, oh, they know each other that well. Right. Really good. 
just really good stuff. Jim's work at ringside, he interferes at one point and he's chased around the ring and ends up getting punched by Gibson and Stan Lane jumps down and starts giving him CPR on the, and I thought, where's Dr. Death when you need him? Oh, oh dear. Great though. Good stuff. It's a really good, for the time I'd say it's quite fast paced. Yes. It's not, it's not a short match either. No. But because you've got that little bit of comedy and because you've got there's like phases to it there's the phase where they're evenly matched there's the phase where the rock and roll get a lot of stuff in there's the phase where the midnights obviously isolate Ricky Ricky. and they they get there thanks to two racket shots from Jim which aren't on camera exactly you just have to be told about them and then there's the hot tag and, and the end phase which included a racket shot that was brutal to the back of Robert Gibson and he kicked out after two and Jim Cornette's face is brilliant at that point because he's there already waving his rack in the air. Yeah, we won. That's why the Midnight's work, man. They're, they're great wrestlers in the ring, but Cornette's enough of an arsehole that you don't want to see them win. Uh, it's why they didn't work anywhere near as well as baby faces. Nah. And they're still good wrestlers, don't be wrong, but like pretty much neutered Jim Cornette's role. Now, now I've seen. Now I've seen what I, I'd assume would be one of the the Rock and Roll Express matches that are what you expect when you hear. Oh, they were great. They say that um, the Midnight's and the Rock and Roll know each other really well. Stan didn't do that much work with the Rock and Roll, surely. No, it would have been. It would have been Dennis, Dennis Condry. Yeah, but then Jim Cornette knows everything, and yeah, that's, a, that's, that's it, that's isn't that. it? It's the same. As, it's the same excuse Heyman gave when he was like, "I know that you know these these guys, so I got another guy in." It's that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, the Midnights go for the flapjack on Robert. Ricky interferes, takes out Bobby while Robert rolls up Stan for the three count. For the three. Here endeth the tag match. And for our next match... We've got Road Warriors interview first. Oh, um, do they say get him Gordo? No. Tell him Gordo. No. Uh, we get a tell him Paul, I think, in this one. Ah, yes. But, yeah, Road Warriors interview... If you've heard one, you know what it sounds like. Yeah, they're still good, but like I'm fed yeah. up of recapping them being like they, they yell and say... Yeah. And then we have a Chicago street fight between the Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers. This was cool. Which is mean Mark Callis and the mass Skyscraper, who isn't Jack Victory. No, you were shocked, weren't you? Well, Jack Victory's about the right height. Yeah. About that road build as well. I'm surprised they didn't use Jack Victory for this. Well. They shoved a mask on Mike Enos instead. Yes. Who you may know better as Blake Beverly. Yes. Justin from the AWA, I believe. Where he would have been a member of... We had this before. What were they called? The Destruction Crew. Destruction Crew. Because I said it was the the Wrecking Crew. I'm like, that's the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. So the Destruction Crew are the Beverly Brothers. Yeah. They're just... Uh, Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. And they're just in workman outfits. So it makes me think about the Beverly Brothers because they played the cowardly heel, the sh- chicken chateel, if yeah. you will. And it's like, they're both big guys. Yeah, this really made me go, Jesus, the Beverlys must have been gigantic. But they're in the land of everyone is gigantic yeah. so they don't look that big. But in this match... Enos is the smallest guy in the ring. Eno- yeah, putting them in a team called the Skyscrapers is a bit disingenuous. But he's... He's thick, you know. He's he's not he's not ripped like the like the Road Warriors, but he is thick. Yeah, it's a big. He's a fella. much bigger dude than I realised. Unless he trimmed down massively when he went to WWE, we don't know. It's been done. So we mentioned earlier that Theodore Arlong is being Sugar Ray Long tonight. Yeah, and he's dressed to fight, and he gets in the ring at the beginning with Paul Ellering. I almost said Heyman then, and yep. that's very wrong. Paul Ellering. And gets knocked out in one punch. Yeah, fair play because he takes he takes a bump like through the ring through the ropes to the outside. He does. Fair play to him. But uh... and then the big four men start up, and we have the term a Donnybrook from Terry Funk. Yeah, and I cannot argue with that term. It's fun. Here's the thing: like I've I found out that like apparently a load of wrestling, quote unquote wrestling journeys. I've never heard the term Donnybrook because whenever it's like a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match in like modern wrestling, they're like, what on earth's a Donnybrook? I'm like, it's the same as a Pier 6 brawl. It's the same as any other cliche they always use in old-school wrestling. What are you talking about? A slobber knocker. Yeah. They used it a lot 
Very weird. So it's a match I haven't got a lot of notes on because it's the big man, four big guys just hitting each other. Routine. Yeah, I think this is better than the one last show. Yes. Uh, possibly because it comes after a technical match because didn't the last one come after the Steiner's Doom? I think it did. I'd have to go back in my notes a while to find out, but I think it was another brawl. Yeah. It might not have been Steiner's Doom, but it was... Was it... The, no, it was the Kevin Sullivan match, I think, that oh, came well, before. that was... Another brawl, though, yeah. yeah. So, a lot of brawling all at once. This one I was, I was far better deposed for. I was, I was more like, yeah, this is, this is all right. Teddy Long's surprise, I expected to come at the end of the match, at least. But midway through the match, two guys turn up at ringside wearing suits, looking very smart. Looking fucking awesome. Yeah. It's Doom. It is. It's Doom 1. I mean, um, <laughs> Ron Simmons and Butch, Butch Reed. Reed. Finally say that. For certain. That would be really funny if we'd have if we'd have been saying that all the way through and it turns out it wasn't them. But uh, yeah, they look really awesome because they are dressed in what basically a suit like almost tuxedos. Yeah. They look really cool. And then, like I said, the brawl keeps going. Doom basically stood outside. At the end of the match, I found weird. Doesn't really end. Just Well, they put up um, Enos for the Doomsday device. And me and Mark Callis looks at him goes, and walks off. Well, he probably thinks that, that, that guy doesn't deserve to be a skyscraper. Yeah. He doesn't get Teddy and go, though. He just walks off. He leaves everybody who's standing there. Yeah, standing there. Maybe he thinks everyone sucks. He's about to get a new manager, so let's not worry about that. So, yeah, the Road Warriors win. And yeah. then Teddy Long races to the ring. Because he's got to the spot. <laughs> and is press slammed by Animal out to the outside where Doom are waiting. Is it just me, or does Animal look like he struggles a bit? Animal really looks like he doesn't know where to hold Teddy Long to like do the press. Is it because he's a bit too small, do you think? I think so. Because I was like, well, it's obviously not a strength thing. <laughs> but, like... Or like he, he could obviously like grab him around the throat and grab him in the knees, but like, that's not going to be very comfortable. Uh, so it's the um, shoulder, and it would normally be around the crotch area. Yeah, maybe Teddy said, "Like, don't touch my balls." <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, and he, they get thrown on Doom, and, and Doom catch him and hold him, and and the fight is on. Yeah, Doom take off their nice jackets, open their shirts, and go to work. And it just turns into another brawl, but this time it's Doom and and the Legion of Doom. Sorry, yeah. the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors. I was like, I ain't right. Doom the Legion, Legion of Doom. Yeah, but still, uh, the same, same Doom, <laughs> same Doom twice when we go, uh, but yeah, the Roadies. Good stuff. Uh, that should be a good feud because while they're both brawlers, I think there's enough wrestling in Ron and Butch, Butch to uh, to make it just different enough. Well, Butch is the most experienced out of the bunch of them, isn't he? He's been going for a good long while at that point. Yes, I think so. I think he's more experienced than Hawk and Animal. Yeah, so it, it should be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We get the commentators for a second yeah, and they say every match from this point on is for a title or a championship, I believe they say. Yeah. For a championship. And we start that with... Challenging for the United States Tag Team titles are the Freebirds against the champions Z-Man and Pillman. Z-Man and Pillman. <laughs> how are we going to do this now, Dave? Are they, are they Mega Man bosses? I was having a good time. And in all honesty, at the start of this match, when the Freebirds come out with the two girls and they're doing the whole pat down and handing the coats off, but they actually hand it off to Zeman and Pillman. And they do that little comedy spot where they get tapped and, and the, the baby faces hit the heels. And then the baby faces wear the heels clothing. I was like, this is what the Freebirds should be doing. Why do baby faces struggle so much putting on heel clothing? It's, it's, it's evil. It's, it's like putting on stuff in, on an RPG. It gives you plus two to your, to your evilness and they don't want to do that. Because Zeman quite easily got on Garvin's jacket. Pillman struggled with Michael Hayes' yeah, he, robe. He just like chuck it over his shoulder in the end. Yeah, because he couldn't find the armholes. I'm assuming. Yeah, love material, I suppose. There, they keep on referring to um, Michael Hayes as looking like Alice Cooper because he's got a little bit of guy liner on. Looks nothing like Alice Cooper. No, very very female centric crowd at this point. This is the first time I've heard what I will call the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels response. 
from a WCW crowd. Because any time the Z-Man and Tom Zenk do anything... I love the fact that you keep on doing that. I've done it again. Yeah. Listen, Pillman's in this team. If I... <laughs> Any time, Flying Brian and the Z Man. Flying Brian, I got Flying Brian and the Z Man. Do something. Do something. It's very much woo. It's very, very. Um, they're very. A lot of female reaction. Any time they're about to get hit, there's a lot of female screaming. This match definitely gets a reaction. It's incredibly long, and incredibly boring. That was my biggest issue with it, and the Road Warriors. Oh no, sorry, it's the Freebirds. It's <laughs> still not selling much yeah. of anything. And they're doing long, grinding down rest holds. But they've got... It's like watching two Randy Ortons. It's like rear chin lock, tag out. The other guy puts on a rear chin lock. They do They do an admirable job of trying to like trash talk. I want these guys to go away. I really do. Well, I've already spoken to you about this, but I'll let the listeners know. I almost fell asleep during this match. Yeah. I'd had a long night the night before, and I was rather tired, and I was there, found myself dozing a little bit. Yeah, I just found it dull and repetitive, and I'm not into the Z-Man and Flying Brian enough yet to want to see them take on this team because I don't want to see this team take on anyone I'm, I'm done I was done I was done the moment they, they I realised they weren't going to sell the Road Warriors so this the- match ends with a high cross body <laughs> surprise surprise where are we find the thing yeah so it's Pillman gets it this time from the top rope as Jimmy Garvin's going for a sunset flip yeah or similar it's, it's not it's not even bad it's just dull yeah, it, I, I found it very dull. Like, the, I, I, I can't think of any major botches. I just don't like these characters. I'm bored by them, and if if I wasn't watching for this for this podcast, I would skip their matches by now. Now, personally, I would have liked a singles match as well to break up because this is the third tag match in a row, the fourth one on the show. Yeah, and we're about to get another one. Yeah, I know. We needed we needed a singles match in here. Yeah, just something to break it up, or a long segment where someone talks or something. Yeah, just this, something this, to break up the night, tags a bit. This is night of the tag matches. I like a good tag match. I do too. But like you said, this is the fourth in the show, and it's too much. Speaking of, our next match is for the world tag team titles, and it's the Anderson brothers. No relation. <laughs> well, no, but. But shush, shush, shush. Versus the Steiner brothers. Who are actually brothers? Hey. Isn't it Steinerich? Steinerich. Rex Steiner. Rex Steiner. Uh, so, Rick comes out with a sign saying Sting's Revenge. Yeah. It's a bit oh, of paper attached to his jacket. That's something we forgot. Uh, most of the baby faces yeah. are wearing yeah. black bands with Sting on them. Yeah, he didn't die, people. He's no, just no. got a broken leg. He's actually going to be at the show a bit later. Yeah, yeah but like Norman's wearing it on his head. Yeah, uh, the Steiners wearing them. Like I'm pretty sure the Roadies didn't bother, did they? I think the Roadies commented on their brother in paint. Brother in paint, yeah. They, which is cool. They might have had it on, but they were wearing shirts. They were, a, yeah, they were wearing. So it looked uh, different, anyways. Yeah, it's true. But all the baby faces seem to have been like Sting's our guy. Yeah. You hurt our guy. We're gonna do. We're gonna. And that was that was cool. Yeah. So so on TV they've sold it as the horsemen have hurt Sting. Yeah. Not that Doug Dillinger was a dickhead. <laughs> and it, it was an, it was an accident. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure it was. I've heard that Doug Dillinger may have been a bit like too rough. Well, he w- was an ex policeman, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was probably told, "Oh, go and grab him." And he went, "Okay." Yeah, <laughs> and nobody told him don't do it like that <laughs> yeah I, I just heard that that's the that's the scuttlebutt that's the yeah. that's the rumour and innuendo if you want to use a if you want me to be like Bruce Pritchard yeah but the sign attached to Rick Steiner Sting's Revenge Sting's Revenge it made me think of like when kids have signs attached to them like, 
hello, my name is... You know, when they dropped off at the fire station, that kind of thing. <laughs> Please take care of me. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just um, very... W- I liked the fact all the all the baby faces are um are in Sting's corner, but it was weird. We've got to be honest, this should be great. This should be real good because, damn, the Steiners are great, mm-hmm. and damn, Arn is great. And Oli is decent, and, and Oli's decent. Like I said, he's just getting on a bit. Yeah, and this match was really good. I enjoyed it yeah. immensely. Yeah. So we've got. The opening of the match, they give the Steiners so much offense. I was there like, they're, they're selling for everything. The Steiners are barely having to do too much here. The thing that everyone forgets about Arn is how good a seller he is. There's a point where, I think it's Rick grab, grabs Arn around the throat and lifts him up. And you can hear Arn going, ah, oh no, no, no. It's got, because he's got, got the height. Yeah. It's the double-handed choke slam, yeah. and it looked <laughs> immense. It was great. I loved it. It was brilliant. And it is the power team versus the technical team. Like, the Steiners can do some technical stuff. Yeah. But, like, the Andersons are take a body part, work it. Which is exactly what they did. They worked on Scott's arm for the entire match. These are my kind of heel wrestlers. Take a, My kind of wrestling is to, is to work a body part. Like, that's why I love Bret Hart. That's why I, you know, I've... That's my favourite type of psychology in wrestling is to just be like, cool, let's see you do this. And it just becomes like, they work in Scott's arm and just Scott's just too much even then. Every now and then there'll just be something where it's like, even one-armed, Scott's ridiculously strong. But they're doing it as heels. They know what they're doing, these two. Yeah. So they're working the arm in the ring. They're getting in the corner, getting pulled off by the referee and Scott's being pulled outside. They're being pulled off the, the their opponent in the corner. Wait. <laughs> by the referee. There we go. And Scott will be pulled outside the ring and have his arm smashed into the post or slammed on the concrete with his arm under him. Perfect. And it's, every spot was well done here. And as the, the Steiners don't really have to do anything. You got, Scott's got a cell. Yeah. And Rick's got that act upset. And then Scott's got to hit his Frankensteiner and make the tag. Must have looked like a, must have felt like a night off, because as you say, the littlest thing they do is just sold like death. The littlest thing the Steiners do, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew are just like, oh god, oh no, ah, oh, it's brilliant. And Rick comes in, hits some clotheslines and a roll up and gets the win. Yep. Still, this is very much the same finish as the match they had against Doom, minus the masks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, still, still good though because the other side of that match weren't the same type of wrestling. But these guys have been established as Sting's friends, and after the match, the Andersons they knock Rick out of the way and go back to Scott's arm. Yeah, and so like we won't put this guy out of action. He's he's part of Sting's crew. We're not having that. Really cool, good bit of storytelling for the big story of like Sting, but also a good match. I can't really think of too much more to say about it, though. There's not like... You, you, like, it's really good. It's just really fun to watch that kind of... Because we haven't had that in the tag division for ages, that one team. It's like FTR. Like, yeah. FTR are that kind of take a body part, work it. That's uh, why I love Arn and Tully so much. Yeah, exactly. And now we've got that kind of team back. For a little while. For a little bit. Uh, it's really fun to watch them. Because they're different than... Let's put it this way. You've got the Skyscrapers, power team. Yeah. Legion of Doom, power team. Doom, power team. Samoans. Samoans, power team. And the Steiners, power team. Putting something else in there has been great. Yeah. So we move on to an interview with Lex Luger. God damn, I hate babyface Lex Luger. (laughs) (laughs) He was such a good heel interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's obviously not quite turned, but is turning... It's necessity. Yeah, it's turning out of necessity, but he's not a good babyface promo. No, no. It feels, like you said, he was on the verge of something as a heel. Yeah. And now it's just kind of like, well, we're back to where we were when we started watching Tony years. It's a shame. I understand totally why they did it, but it's a, it's a massive shame. It felt quite forced. It's because it is. Yeah. <laughs> From a character point of view, it comes out of nowhere. And then we have another interview. And we have Ric Flair. And now Ric Flair is a heel, just 
works. Of course, makes a better heel. And he's got his new manager at his side. Woman. Oh, woman. Basically, we saw Sensational Sherry on the other side, thank you very much. We'll have some of that. It is the Miss Elizabeth Sensational Sherry thing. The robe and the dress match. Yeah. And it's just so nice to see. It's it, Yeah, yeah, it's 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 real good. Um, quite a promotion for her though from a, like a mid-card tag team or well I suppose well from Doom to the world title is yeah if they'd have been working for the world tag team titles with her constantly then it wouldn't have been such a big rise but they lost a lot they got they got jobbed out in, uh, uh, um, Future Shock Future Shock yeah. yeah I keep going to call it Wrestle War and I know that ain't right no, that's where we are now so here we go we have Flair versus Luger for the world title but first there's a special observer. That's what they call him, a special observer. Yeah, it's a weird one. This is the man they call Ding. Yay! Sting's here. And on crutches. On crutches. And and a full leg brace. Brace. It's, it's, uh, I'm not sure they've done this. I mean, we'll see why they did this. But uh, I think an interview from home saying I may never walk again would be more effective as for getting sympathy. But the weird thing is, they send him to the back again. If he's a special observer, put him in a chair. Sit him in the front row. Maybe you can get comfortable. True. I suppose you can't bend your legs. You got yeah. Yeah. All right. So the match, they have their introductions. They come down to the ring, and then they go. We're going to go to the referee now to for the rules of the match, and they actually focus in while he gives the rules of the match. I love that. I thought that was a yeah. great touch. That, that always always sells something a bit more important. That does. Yeah. And then we have the sign. Oh, this, this sign's been. This sign has been there. This all... is this is the first time I spied the sign. Oh no! Yeah. This this sign was there the first match. So the second match. Yeah. It's been there. But oh. we haven't talked about it yet. So it's I was very gonna, I was going to wait till the end. You want to wait till the end? Well, you've mentioned it now. So the sign reads, "We've heard enough," yeah. and. I think this is the first example of a smart, quote-unquote, wrestling sign. So, like, obviously, Jim Hurd is running pro wrestling operations for WCW. And people are not happy about it. And we will talk more about people who are not happy about it once we talk about the end of this program. But, yeah, We've Heard Enough is a sign they admittedly keep trying to get away from. But it has shown up a few times during this program. And we're into the match we saw at Starcade 89. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I was just going to say, what the hell are we going to say? Because it's the same match. I'll talk about um, Nancy at ringside. Yes. She's great. Anytime Luger's taking over, she's there, essentially. No, come on, champ. Come Come on, on, champ. And when Rick's doing something, well done, champ. She's vocal throughout. She gets up on the apron a couple of times to do some distractions. She does. She's integral to the end. Or the near end, where Luca catches her arm. Yeah, and um, the ref bump leading is it. She goes to slap Luca, misses, and is quick enough to not look, look stupid and just goes again, and hits him. Because that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you don't connect, and a lot of people would act like you connected. Now, she, she was great. The end of the match bugged me. The end of the match, as in the the ending, the ending, the actual ending, the how Luca loses this match. Oh yeah, it, it's stupid. <laughs> I hate the way this match finishes. So you've got this count out where Luger is being held down by the Andersons, essentially. He's, well, he's gone out to fight them because they've turned up to fight. They've turned up to hit, to hurt Sting. Yeah. That I thought that was pretty cl- cool that they came out. Sting comes back out during the match yeah. to motivate Lex Luger. Yeah. Um, basically, he initiates Luger hulking up. Yeah? Yeah. He slaps Luger and says, just get on with it, get it done. Win the title, and then from that point on, Luger's impervious to any kind of pain. And then, as you say, the Andersons come out. There's a ref bump. With... There is a ref bump with the with the the slaps. Yeah, and Luger gets like a nine count, a visual pin on Sting, on on uh, Flair, Flair. Sorry. Then he puts him up in the rack, and the Andersons come down. And the Andersons come down, and they think about getting in the ring. They don't get in the ring. But they they pull the crutches away from Sting because Sting is still on crutches. He's stood by the and they go to attack Sting. Luger's looking down. He thinks, "Well, oh, I better help my friend out." Drops Flair, 
and they go into a fight outside and Luger is kicking the Andersons' backsides. The Andersons literally don't get any offense in and I think the thing is, you talked about them holding him back when yeah. we talked about it. They don't. They do. Uh, the end is about the nine count when he turns. Realize it's too, it's too late. <laughs> they grab him ah. as the referees count to ten. I was going to say because he spends like one through uh, one through nine kicking yeah. their ass. Yeah, if they'd still been kicking their ass, I wouldn't have had an issue. But they physically hold him to the very end. I, I prefer that than him being like, "Well, it's only nine. I can get in." Like, I prefer yeah. them holding him back. But it's just a way to to not give the title to Luger. Yeah, but he gets to win. He doesn't get to win. Flair wins by count. Oh, Flair! Or he has a he has a he has, he a, has an out. He has an out. He has a reason for to yeah. lose. And I think it does make him look like a really nice babyface, like a good guy helping his friend out. Also makes him a bit of an idiot, and it makes Sting even more of an idiot for not being like, "Hey, Steiners, come out with me." So the Horseman and Luger and fight with Sting at ringside yeah looking fairly useless yeah and there's nothing wrong with that no. Sting's hurt the problem is putting him out there in the first place so who's ever gonna save Luger from the horseman and here he they come yeah the Steiner brothers and we have a nice little faction forming to take on the horseman yes in six man tags all over the country for the next couple of months <laughs> did you look that up no but I can see it happening well, I know some things that I don't want to talk about to you just yet because I don't want to ruin upcoming shows. But as we talked about the, the heard enough sign, yeah. there is another person who has heard enough. His name is Ric Flair. He has quit his position on the booking committee and he's demanded one of two things. He either wants his contract's extended because it runs out next year or he wants to leave. One or the other. Jim Heard for his part, does not want to give Rick a contract extension and wants Rick to lose the world title. Rick was in charge of booking, so that didn't happen. But Heard has for a while believed that Ric Flair is now too old and he needs to move back down the card. The idea in late 89 was to give Luger the world title. This didn't happen because the booking committee decided no, it's going to go on to Sting. Okay then, fine. But basically at this point, Flair is fighting to not lose his spot. Either I want to get assurance I'm not going to be mistreated by a contract extension, or I want to be let go because I've got an offer at Titan. Well, if you'd have got the offer at Titan, we're in 1990, so this would have been WrestleMania 7, yeah? No, 6 would have happened. 6 was yes. If they got the offer at Titan... He would have gone into a main event run at WrestleMania, probably, against Hogan. But that didn't happen, so we got Hogan Warrior. I like Hogan Warrior, so no problem there. But by the end of February, this is February 25th, so we're quite close to the end of February, so I'm telling you about it now, Flair is no longer in charge of booking. Uh, his replacement will be announced. Uh, we'll talk about his replacement at the beginning of the next show. But tensions are there between the guy running the company and unquestionably the company's top star. Personally, I don't know why Jim Hurd is like hell-bent on not having Ric Flair be the top guy. I know why, because you can look at Sting and you can look at Luger and say, well, they're big, muscular dudes like Hogan and the Warrior. I get them, I understand them. I don't get... He doesn't understand Flair. It's, it's a, not just Flair, though, is it? No, he doesn't understand the product. Because at this point... Jim Cornette is on commentary a lot of the time. Yeah. And Bobby and Stan aren't getting as much TV time. He has people he likes and he has people he doesn't like. And I'll say it right now. I believe the Midnight's leave after Halloween Havoc. So we've got a while with the Midnight's yet. And when they leave, I'll talk about that situation more because I want to talk about the contracts negotiations, but that happens much later. Uh, but the whole thing with Flair, I, I think this may be where he's like, I want you to become Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I want to change you into. <laughs> I want you to change your gimmick, and we're going to make you a gladiator. We're going to sh cut your hair. We're going to give you a diamond earring, and you'll be Spartacus. And obviously, Flair's like, "What the hell are you talking about?" I believe he's a big fan of Scott Steiner. Um, Heard's a big fan of Scott Steiner. Acceptable, though. Yeah. Scott Steiner's amazing. 
but there is a clear divide between because I, I don't know about you but since Flair took over the book I think it's been a better product at least in the main angles yeah I'd agree with that there's been some stuff that they haven't been able to deal with like the ding dongs and things like that and the dudes that are blatantly ideas they've had to say okay you want those alright we'll do that but I would say it's been pretty pretty decent with the, with the Flair era he's just had enough of the arguing and he's like I, I, wanna, I either want to go or I want you to sign me to my I think it's 750 grand a year and they're having a big dispute and Flair's just I'm not book I'm not you keep interfering with my booking so no no Turner bought this company because of Flair um Flair didn't know that Flair had no idea that if Ric Flair wasn't under contract to Jim Crockett promotions it wouldn't have been bought that's how big a fan of Ric Flair Ted Turner is like because he's always said why Jimmy didn't tell me I don't understand because I could have bargained my way into part ownership that's how big a bigger partner I was apparently a part of the deal, and he's like I could have I could have owned like a third of the company, and then none of the bad stuff that happened uh-huh. to Flair could mm-hmm. have happened. Yeah. That being said, Flair Flair could have had more of an ego about it if he was part owner. Yeah. So better the devil you know, perhaps. But and we wouldn't have got Rumble ninety two. Well, 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 don't talk. But what happens then? We don't we don't know anything about that yet. Uh, so that's like, <laughs> it's like two years from now, Dave. Don't don't look ahead. Yeah, it's very volatile backstage, and as good as the past few events have been, bar a few like uninteresting things. Because to be fair, they've booked maintenance cards where it's been like, okay, this is still going on, but the main event is this. You know what I mean? On the undercard, there's not been a great deal of, oh, this is an amazing feud in the undercard. It's been very much held up by the mains. Yeah. So I can certainly see why someone would be like... This is why Captain Shaq had a problem with Flair because he's like, ah, Flair never has any any anything for anyone under under a certain limit. I'm not sure if this is the time he has a problem with Flair, but there's definitely a part in his book where he says, "Ah, oh, Flair was wasn't a great booker because he only really booked the top. He didn't book the rest of it." But um, yeah, turbulent times in WCW, and we're really gonna see what happens later in the year. So that was. Wrestle War 90, Wild Thing. What is your match of the night, Dave? Oh, my match of the night. I'm going to go with the Andersons versus the Steiners. Ooh. It's a tough call. It was between that and the Midnights and the Rock and Roll. I was going to say, I'll, I'll split it with you because I, I know the other contender would be, I'll go for the Midnights and the Rock and Roll. And what is your? who is your MVP? My MVP... That's a tough call, that one. I think I'm going to go with Ricky Morton. Just, uh... Fair, fair. I'm going to go with Lex Luger. Nice. Because I do think, like, we didn't, we don't like Face Luger, but he's successfully managed to get himself into that position where people are like, screw it, you're Sting's friend, we're going to cheer you in weeks. So fair enough. And I thought them, I thought the Flair, the Flair-Lex match was good. It's just I've seen it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very, very much like, oh, this is a good match. I've seen it before a couple of times. And it was the big feud when we came in. There's basically been the Flair Luger era, the Flair Steamboat era, and the Flair Funk era. There have been other matches in between that stuff, like the, the Clash of the Champions one with, with Sting and, you know... Hawk. Hawk. Early on, yeah. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing. But those are the three big eras we've had. If this had happened in like '91, then I'd be like, "Oh, I haven't seen this in a while." But this still feels uncomfortably close. So we're moving into another pay per view next. We've not got Clash of Champions next, nope. which is going to be weird. The next pay per view, you know very well, I'm sure. I do. And I don't think Jim Ross calls it as the right show when he announces it in this show. He said something totally different from well, Washington DC. I was like, "Isn't that Capital Combat?" And yeah. It is indeed. Our next show is going to be Capital Combat. Yes, Capital Combat 90. 90. The return of Robocop. They didn't have any more Capital Combats, did they, after that no. one? <laughs> no. They did not, Dave. Uh, yeah, the return of Robocop, which has the Road Warriors and Robocop on the front cover of the thing they've got in 
Wikipedia anyway. Okay, let me let me make this really clear. I own the VHS of this as a kid. Yeah. I don't think the Road Warriors are on that VHS. Now, I will admit the VHSs were severely there were matches cut out, so maybe the Road Warriors are on this pay per view. But oh, they most definitely are. It's going to be Kevin Sullivan, Cactus Jack, and Bam Bam Bigelow versus. Norman the Lunatic and the Road Warriors, unless they've cut it off the network as well. Uh, no, the network's got the full shows. So yeah, we got a six-man tag. Okay, cool, cool. But that was definitely not on. That was definitely not on that VHS. My VHS opens up with a boxing match, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. My na- so my name's been Paul Barrow. I've been Dave Evans, and we'll see you in Washington D.C. for Capital Combat '90. <laughs>